This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by AutoEntry. By using AutoEntry, you can stop typing data into your accounting system. AutoEntry can turn your stack of paper, be it bills, receipts, bank statements, sales invoices, and vendor statements directly into transactions posted into QuickBooks, Sage, or Xero. Regardless of your small business client engagements, once a year tax-only engagements, write-up or catch-up work, monthly bookkeeping that you do in-house, a client doing bookkeeping themselves, auto-entry is the perfect fit for all of them. Auto-entry can even handle the tricky details like line items, billable costs, customers, jobs, classes, employee expenses or reimbursements, even multi-currency. To learn even more about auto-entry, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.com forward slash auto-entry. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.com forward slash A-U-T-O-E-N-T-R-Y. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. How was your 4th of July weekend, David? It was good. It was stable. Uh, how was your 4th of July week? <laughs> well, I saw I saw the picture of you at the pool reserving the what cabana or the chairs or something before everybody else got there at 7 a.m. And you were wearing, yeah, a, you you were wearing to... your Cloud Accounting Podcast shirt. Of course. I mean, there's new eyeballs. I don't know who's going to be <laughs> at... The public uh, at a public hotel resort golf coursey thing. I'm going to wear a Cloud Accounting podcast shirt. That was great. That it's, made it's my day. Balls. I had a very nice long weekend. We got uh, Friday off at work, which is just fantastic. Uh, and on Friday, I drove down with my uh, son and my wife to Encinitas. Uh, some of the listeners of the show may know that my son is was born deaf and has cochlear implants, and so we went down there to had to have the audiologist run diagnostics. And it's so cool. They like plug him into a laptop and tune up his uh, his cochlear implant so that he can hear. And the way those work, right? Like every year they'll increase the uh, strength a little bit. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. They start out lower levels of volume, and volume isn't the right word because it's actually voltage. But um, okay. yeah, it's it's um, so they have to like kind of up it over time as he learns how to interpret those electrical signals that are going into his brain. Uh, and it's working great. Like uh, he's he's um, going to be mainstream kindergarten. And they can't do this to the cloud yet? Uh, n- not not yet. They're working on it. I know. Uh, he has Bluetooth. He comes with Bluetooth enabled. He has like a microphone that his teacher wears in the classroom. And it's connected to his uh, his cochlear implant processors by Bluetooth. It's pretty pretty amazing. Whenever people get a little down on technological progress and say, hey, why don't we have flying cars yet? Or, you know, cloud accounting is moving so slowly. I say, uh, you know, we have basically cured deafness for children in our society. And we kind of just like didn't notice because it happened so gradually over 30 years, but it's, it's there. I mean, this is like as futuristic as Geordi from Star Trek with his visor. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think my dad has something in his heart that connects to a machine that connects through Wi-Fi and sends data back. <laughs> That's so to cool. Doctor. So he doesn't have to go to the yeah. office. So yeah, I think are, things are chipping away. What about uh, earthquake? Oh yeah. Yeah. Your moves over, is your place still standing? Like what's that? Yeah, like I mean, the, the earthquake uh, was far enough away that it, it, you know, I mean, for people who are not from Southern California, it's a pretty scary experience to have the ground shifting underneath you. But, you know, for people who are from here, we had the earthquake and then everybody was back to work, you know, five minutes later or whatever they were doing. Like we didn't even phase us. You're just resilient. Yeah. It's no big deal. Yeah. I mean, other, you know, for the people who are right living above it, that was a different story because that's a massive thing. You know, your roads are cracking and stuff. But in L.A., we were fine. So should we jump in for this week? I know yeah. we got one review. Headline is retired CPA. Good day, gentlemen. Thank you for your timely and entertaining podcast. I retired from my CPA firm at the end of last year at age 60. I was in charge of our IT department for most of my career and am now doing QBO consulting and some tax prep to stay sane. 
I also do the bookkeeping for my church. The information you discuss keeps me in the know with all things cloud. I'm considering signing up with QB Live to see if I can keep active, use my tech and QBO skills. Thanks again and keep up the good work. And that's from Dan Martin, CPA. Thank you so much, Dan. Perfect. Yes, thank that's you. really nice. Uh, oh, it's five stars. Oh, so it was a five star. Well, you know, they're all five stars, so... <laughs> They're always five stars. <laughs> Don't if you tag me five star. Don't bother writing it. Uh, and as always, if you want to leave us a review, it really helps us reach new listeners. So uh, do us a favor and go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your uh, services of choice and, and give us one of those reviews, and we will be sure to read it on the air. Absolutely. Where, where should we jump in at? What, what, do you have any articles? Something exciting? So I have a bot story, David. Okay. Uh, more bot stories? Apparently, accounting is not the only industry where bots are a problem or a concern. Uh, of course, we all are aware of the issues with bots on social media and uh, potential election campaign meddling. Or, or LinkedIn messages. LinkedIn messages, yes. That's, that's probably the biggest uh, day-to-day pain point we all have. Well, the great state of California, my home state, uh, has passed a law that goes into effect. Well, it already went into effect last week on July 1st. It is a law that is requiring any online chatbot trying to sell you something or get you to vote a certain way or, or just communicate with you to disclose that it is, in fact, a bot. Got it. So any 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 online conversations, any chats, anything I'm doing, if it is a bot, it just needs to disclose that. Yep. Kind of in the same way, like, hey, I'm going to record this phone call and I have to disclose that before I record the phone call. Yeah. And so it's, it, there's always some gray areas and confusion and uh, litigation is going to be necessary to sort this out, apparently. You know, even though the law was intended to force uh, bots online, like social media bots and whatnot, to disclose they're a bot. Uh, it's going to have ramifications for many, many businesses who are using bot technology. So if you have a, David, what are those um, uh, chat options on people's websites? Like, what do you call those? Uh, uh, intercom. Yeah, if you're using Intercom or some similar service where people can chat with you on your website, right now you can make it look like they're talking to a real person and they may not realize they're not talking to you or some persona you've created. Well, now, according to this California law, you're going to have to like disclose that even though the law was intended for other things like uh, social media, it applies to all chatbots, potentially. Like, there's a big question. And so I, there's this Quartz article that I recommend you check it out if you're using chat tools on your website with automation. And the headline is, a California law now means chatbots have to disclose they're not human. And that was actually published back in October. On October 3rd, the law didn't go into effect until uh, July 1st of this this year. That's interesting because a lot, a lot of these chat, especially like the chat tools, like something like we just talked about intercom, it's gray, right? Because you can set it up to start the conversation, mm-hmm. right? Possibly route the customer on the other end to the right answer. Like, hey, here's how you can find out the status of your W-2 yep. or whatever it might be. And it hands it off to you to finish that conversation as the human. So that's kind of interesting. Or we talked about call joy last week. Yeah. And does this apply to voice as well? Because you get a lot of these spam calls where if you accidentally say yes, they're interacting with you and then this, the call changes. Yeah, that's a good question. Right? I am not, I'm not sure. I'm going to be looking into this and I'll hopefully uh, keep everybody posted on the developments. Yeah, this is, this is on your beat. It's in your yeah. backyard. What's new, uh, you know, what's hot in, in your neck of the woods, David? My neck of the woods, it's, I mean, it's hot, <laughs> right? We're, we're, we're in Arizona. <laughs> it's super, super hot. I saw an interesting one. Um, it was on Small Biz Trends which is American Express's website. Mm-hmm. And it's a 73%. So there was a survey done. 73% think it's okay to text clients after business hours. Now, this is all small businesses. It's not a, an accountant-focused mm-hmm. article. The interesting thing was, is 
this article almost leans toward or slants saying like, yeah, this could be a career threatening move. It could piss off your customers. Oh, really? But I'm, I'm thinking like if this many people are doing it, it's obviously okay. And I've been on both sides of this where I've, as a small business owner, I've texted, yeah, right. right? People outside of hours, even when I was an Intuit, people who have my cell phone, we text back and forth outside of business hours. Right. As a customer, I've texted Mm -hmm. or WhatsApp or Facebook message, like whatever is available. If I know that person I'm trying to communicate is available on that means. Right. Well, that's funny that they put it as a negative because I've always seen it, like, especially when I was freelancing as a positive. Right. If my my clients were happy when I would get back to them at like 8 p.m. because that's they were business owners. They're always working. Right. They they want to get stuff done. So if I would wait until the next day, that would be a down downside of working with me. If anything, the, the the danger of texting with your clients after work hours is that they'll think you're available all the time and you won't be able to set boundaries for yourself, if you ask me. Yeah, I, it, it kind of turns this article into a an etiquette yeah. type article, like the 2019 business text etiquette. I just, I feel like it's, you know, it's missing all the benefits of it or something. Yeah. I, I just yeah. think this the survey data doesn't align with the etiquette. Yeah. Right. And so I the, and I guess users or listeners. Right. So like, what do you guys think on this? Like, is texting cool? Well, and this is very relevant because uh, in the panel discussion with Liz Mason, Byron Patrick and Rachel Fish at AICP Engage, this was one of the questions that we talked about. Do you text with your clients? And Liz said, yes. Uh, well, she used to with her personal number and it got so bad she actually had to change her number and got a new number, but she still does text with her clients. And the way she does it is with RingCentral. So she has her voice over IP phone lines and these apps now let you do text messages through those. So you can have clients texting you at your work number and you don't have to give them your cell number. So you could put boundaries around it. Yeah. So you can you know, mute the app, right? Put on uh, do not disturb at a certain time. So even if they're texting you at 8 p.m., you're not getting those and getting stressed out. And she said the, the worst part was getting stressed out by work after hours. I imagine I, I saw uh, I saw a small article on Bill Murray and how Bill Murray to kind of get some balance in his life because every single day he just get hundreds of emails and voicemails etc about hey I got a role for you I got a role for you and so years ago he set up like an eight hundred number that's just like a big voicemail box uh-huh. and he only checks it whenever he feels like it every so often <laughs> and that's how he you know he keeps some balance in his life well uh speaking of uh balance and perhaps work-life balance some uh accountants at walmart are going to get a lot of work-life balance um on the life side uh, soon i spotted an article back in june in going concern about how walmart is laying off 569 accountants due to a permanent closure of a Walmart division in Water Ridge in North Carolina. This follows United Airlines laying off 100 folks in Houston in July, also planning to outsource this work. Didn't Delta also do something? I, I, I feel like I hear, hear about these every few months, but uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because we talk a lot about the uh, talent shortage, right? There's not enough talent in the accounting world, but then we also see layoffs like this. So like, what is it? Is there a talent shortage or are we are our jobs doomed? And I think, of course, the answer is it depends. I, I'm guessing that a lot of these accountants were probably part of some really, really antiquated old school processes pushing paper around. And this is just my total speculation, but I'm guessing that Walmart decided it's going to be easier just to outsource the whole thing to a new division than to retrain all these people. I, I don't know. What do you think? I, I think that's something we we kind of discussed when we had um, 
Jothamon with uh, Gapify. This whole kind of like you could take time to have your staff and your IDT department and everybody else ramp up on um, uh, robotic process automation. Yeah. Right. Or you could just punt the whole thing and have somebody else do it all for you. Right. So you're right. Like maybe that's what this is. It's not so much a a replacement of talent. I'm sorry. It's more of a replacement of talent, but not really a shift in the number of people needed to do it. There's got to be cost savings in the number of people. Uh, And so that's that's also sort of like where the where the difference is in terms of like talent shortage versus threat of automation is that like, what's well, like with firms, right? 25%, about 25% of firms are growing really fast and innovating and the other 75% aren't. I'd be willing to bet that among accountants themselves as individuals, about 25% are really like embracing automation and technology and the other 75% aren't. And the 25% that are, that are probably listening to this show are going to do really, really well. And the ones who aren't even aware of all this stuff out there are are the ones who are going to, you know, get that pink slip and not even realize it was coming. Yeah, and I wonder because these articles obviously are are doom and gloom, right? But I wonder how many are actually uh, are there's going to be new hires. And the more I'm going from on this is, yeah, if you think about like how hard it is to change behaviors, very very difficult. Right? And yeah. this is like right, right, it's very very difficult. And I look at companies like Intuit, right? And I've talked to. Um, uh, live plan, right? I've touched Sabrina live plan and I looked it into it and there was about a five year period where they'd lay off 600. They would get the headline, but then you rehire right. 400, then lay off 700, rehire 800. Over right, the same, right, right. You know, and it happened year after year for about five years straight. But that's kind of what, how Intuit changed its mm-hmm. mindset from being a desktop company to a cloud company. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I've talked to other I felt that talked to other apps that have done this transition. And when you start doing you know, the covers, like, oh, yeah, we had to get rid of all our engineers and all our product managers to create the new cloud offering we have. Right. Because the old ones just couldn't do it. And so I think you're right. Like, as, as accounting departments uh, at Fortune 500s are becoming more efficient and they're using automation, they're using software, maybe they're using cloud, it's probably easier for them to rehire a different mindset then try to change people's minds because they hang up a sign like, we're going to be innovative now or we're going to be cloud. And this could be uh, really what's happening there. Yeah, you said it perfectly. And interesting detail in this, and maybe some of these people will get rehired. Uh, the work that is being that was being done in Charlotte at Walmart is being outsourced to Genpact, a professional services firm that opened a digital innovation hub last year in Bentonville, uh, Arkansas, the city where Walmart is headquartered. Basically, the firm that is, you know, getting the work is in Walmart's backyard. Well, I think if you want to do any business with Walmart, you have to open the satellite office in Bentonville because like, you travel there so much. I think there's every Rubbermaid. Everybody's got companies there. If we want to have Walmart as a sponsor, we'll probably have to have an office in uh, Bentonville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm not willing to do that. Closing the books is a manual, air-prone, and time-consuming process. In fact, 82% of accountants find the month-end close to be a negative experience, 78% report having to reopen the books, and 3 out of 4 say they're not confident in their close. Meanwhile, management wants numbers faster than ever, and investor scrutiny on financial reports has only increased. There has to be a better way than email, Excel checklists, and endless status update meetings. Flowcast was built by accountants for accountants to help them close faster and more accurately. It provides a single place to manage the month-end close, aligning people, processes, and documents in one collaborative platform. The bottom line, teams relying on Flowcast on average close three days faster. Learn more at cloudaccountingpodcast.com slash Flowcast. That's F-L-O-Q-A-S-T. 
All right, what's next? Uh, what's next? So um, there was a uh, a glitch, which actually people need to stop saying the word glitch in general because it's not. It's either a software bug or somebody made a mistake or there was a hack. But glitch is like getting used too much. You know, glitches. Oh, a glitch crashed a plane. A glitch did this. Um, but anyways, we'll uh, I'll read the headline. So MYOB. So this is for uh, Australia. MYOB glitch sees 220 payment summaries sent in error. I thought it was like there's a form, a tax form, 220 payment summaries. But this is actually how many that were sent. And I think these they're the yearly payment summaries. I'm guessing because the articles don't say it sounds like this could be like a W-2 here in the States. Okay. And so these were emailed out to it would be like my W-2, Blake, getting emailed to you. Oh, that's that would be very, very bad. It's it's very bad. What, what complicated or not complicated this, um, which kind of made it worse, is communications. MYOB is in the middle of rolling out single touch payroll in Australia, which a lot of businesses have to now get on, and so their support lines are longer, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So that complicated it. But the scary thing about this was that this was going on. Where's the where does it say it specifically for here? like a month? Right. It was between June first and June twenty eighth. Yes. So. This happened a couple of times and then they went up shutting down their email servers. They're working with the uh, ATO, which is the um, Australian tax office, Australian tax office to, um, you know, get things resolved on this. It's uh, because they're looking at this as a data breach in a way because uh, personal data is getting out there. I'm guessing those are friends there on the From the Trenches podcast. Um, we'll cover this and talk about this. And so I think if you want a deeper understanding of this, tune into that podcast, because I think those guys will definitely cover that. I'm looking forward to that episode. I have a, a poll for you, David. Okay. I subscribe to the Deloitte Controllership Digest, and this was in the June 2019 issue. And actually, I think I've, I've shared out uh, one previously. They did one on blockchain in controllership. And I remember that. And remember how like zero readers were using blockchain in controllership like it's not but a, that thing. a significant response right there was like 1200 responses or something if i remember correctly it was decent size I, I don't know if they give the sample size but like they have a very large readership obviously as it's deloitte and so the most recent poll is also interesting and the question was for june what is your organization's biggest challenge associated with controllership transformation and 51 percent said balancing key resources between transformation projects and everyday needs and of course, transformation projects is just a fancy corporate word for technology change, putting in new tech, right? Mm-hmm. And this does not surprise, I mean, does this surprise you, David, that like this, this is the biggest challenge above developing a longer term vision, which is only 20%, prioritizing or coordinating among many potential projects, that's only 18%, gaining executive buy-in for investment, only 7%. Building compelling business cases for individual projects, 4%. So this means to me that controllers, right, the people responsible for the accounting function in corporate America are not having trouble getting buy-in from the CFO and the CEO to spend money on tech. They aren't uh, having trouble building the business case for it. Maybe they would have years ago, but now I think everybody's kind of aware that this transformation is necessary to happen. The hardest thing they're having trouble with is just making time for it, 51%. Balancing key resources between transformation projects and everyday needs. I'm surprised it's that low. Oh, really? I feel like that's a struggle for all of us, right? Is everybody has these bigger projects they need to do or get done. Mm-hmm. And just the day-to-day fires just keep it from happening. And so for half the people, well, this is everything's so smooth that doesn't get in their way. No, this is their biggest challenge. 
So for for over half the people, that's their biggest challenge over anything else that was offered, any other options. Okay, got it, got it. Got yeah. It. So to me, that's like pretty significant, and it's way more than you know any of the other responses. So like that that to me is a time management issue. Accountants are too busy. We don't have time to actually you know invest in our technology, our people transformation, uh, and that's what I hear time in and time out. That was my problem when I was in public accounting is I was so busy billing hours. I never had time to work on putting in new tech stacks, like where I had to eat those hours. I had to do that after hours. Very frustrating to get, you know, couldn't get buy-in uh, from the leadership to prioritize that. I think it's the same thing in you know, corporate America too. Uh, and so like we have to figure out, you know, how do we make time, right? We have to have time to invest, not just run the treadmill over and over and over again. And I think that uh, if you're a software developer and you understand that pain point, that people are busy and they're too busy to, you know, go through your complicated setup, if you can make that more streamlined and you can hold the accounting team's hand or you can hold the accounting firm's hand and do it for them, you're going to be much more successful. Or if you can automate that, just whatever you can do to make your tool simpler to set up and use and easy to support the more successful you'll be with accountants. Like it's worth the investment in that as opposed to other industries where people are willing to do their own support. Do you know what I mean? Well, well based on the the other article you had about Walmart, essentially you probably need to figure out how to make time to do this because eventually upper management's going to say, hey, it's been three years. We've, we've funded this. We've given you the budget you need. Let's just give it to somebody else to do and we'll just outsource it. Good connection there. I didn't even think of that. That's what'll happen, right? You'll just get outsourced if you don't modernize. That would not be good. <laughs> no. So uh, <laughs> I have an article that um, came out of Bloomberg Tax. And the title of the article is 50 Years, Little Progress for Black Accountants. And so and it's a little bit of a long read article, but some of the stats in it were very kind of, uh, were pretty interesting. Roughly 9% of all 1.9 million accountants and auditors in the US are black, according to the Bureau of Labor of Statistics. In comparison, roughly 13% of all U.S. residents are black. So, that, so it's not perfect distribution, right? But this is where it gets really scary, though. The number of black accountants drops off significantly in a smaller subset of certified public accountants. Of 650,000 CPAs in the U.S., only 5,000 are black, according to the National Association of Black Accountants. Wow, really? It is that low? It's very, very low. That is crazy. And... It hasn't changed in the past two decades while Asian and Hispanic colleagues have grown more than 12% and 7% respectively. So over and then, so the, the industry is still, right, is overwhelmingly white and male, right? And we've talked about that a lots of time in the past. Wow, that is just staggeringly like low uh, representation. So I did get an interview with um, Gina Ent today. She does uh, diversity at Grant Thornton. Mm -hmm. And so I do have an interview. I was able to connect with her at Scaling New Heights. So hopefully one the, we should get that episode out maybe the, after this episode, um, the interview with her. And she realized a lot of thoughts on diversity. And she looks at it as, you know, until these numbers change at the college level, it's never going to change right. Right. down the road. Right. And so, so it has to change way earlier in the profession or these numbers just won't trickle in. Yeah, I can see in the article, the, the funnel just drops off in that uh, black accountants represent 9% of students enrolling into accounting bachelor's programs, but only 4% of new hires by firms, and then only 1% of firm-employed CPAs. 
Uh, let's see. What else? What else? There's some new proposed CPE rules. This is an exposure draft. The Statement on Standards for Continuing Professional Education CPE Programs. This was issued in May 2019. Uh, the thing that caught my attention is that uh, the AICPA and NASBA are considering offering CPE credit for adaptive learning programs. You may, you may ask, what is adaptive learning? So, I was just, just going to say that. Yeah. So uh, if you've ever taken the, um, the GMAT for business school, that's an adaptive exam. And the way it works is that uh, you get a question. That question has a difficulty ranking that's hidden from you. If you get it right, you get a more difficult question. If you get it wrong, you get a less difficult question. Oh, that's the uh, Microsoft really pioneered that for getting your certifications for back in the day for all Microsoft products. Yeah. Yeah, and the the benefit of it is if it's a well-designed exam, you can test somebody's ability uh, in a much shorter time than giving them an entire question set, right? Because you're just you're just inc- incrementing the difficulty up or down depending on how they're doing live. And that philosophy can be applied to a lot of of things and self-study is one of those things. Uh so these new proposed regulations will allow companies to offer adaptive learning programs. What's interesting is, you know, I was I think to myself, how is it going to be possible to assign a an hour credit value, a time-based credit value for CPE, which is time-based, to something that is adaptive where it may take me a different amount of time to complete than you, David? You might do it really quickly and I might take forever or vice versa. And somehow you've got to come up with, is that worth an hour? Is it worth two hours? Is it worth half an hour? And the way they're going to do it, uh, map the values, I guess, to a time-based system, is you have to do a a sample, like a trial group of people have to take your class, and they have to be, you know, representative of the group that you'll be marketing the course to. So if it's CPAs, then you have to give this, I think it's a minimum of seven CPAs have to take your course, and then you have to average the completion times to get the uh, actual amount of credit that will be offered. As as somebody who provides CP, I'm like, hmm, how could I game this system? <laughs> you get the the seven like slowest CPAs you can find, and still call it a representative sample set, and have them take your course, right? Because then you can offer a lot of CP for it. Well, yeah, the timing the the whole timing of how long it takes to learn something is total crap. I mean, general, and, and where you really see this, and I saw it, <laughs> well, David, you just called into question our entire CPE uh, program, which. <laughs> You know, that's like the number one thing you have to do every year as a CPA, other than your uh, ethics exams. and Well, you'll see this a lot with uh, corporate training and compliance, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of corporations might have to have you every year you need to do uh, sexual harassment training or every year you need to do uh, security training, right? right? Because you have to be in compliant because, you know, CEOs sign off on these. Hey, our whole staff has done this training, right? We're, We're compliant. Everybody's done this. But. What I've seen is though those tests over time over over time went from oh used to just be able to go at your own pace, right? And if you know if if you, if right. if you're relatively aware of security procedures, you can kind of bang through that training pretty quickly and just kind of skip to the questions, answer the questions like you know, get that don't don't open an email that looks like it has a fake link from FedEx, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, yeah. Well. What they did over time, because they want to not 
but people must not be doing the training if they go too fast. Right. Because it was about it was about doing the training, not whether or not you actually have the knowledge. So then what they did is they put times on all these things. Like you have to spend six minutes on this section, six minutes on this section. So I don't necessarily know like if how if, if they'll stick to this. Because I think eventually they're gonna they'll try to switch it back to you need to have so much minutes on this topic. It's impossible that you could just quickly read it and know the answer. Or, or comprehend it quicker. Yeah, it's so dumb. And this is, you know, this is the problem with timesheets. We're valuing inputs, not outputs. It would be a lot harder to, you know, give CPE and administer CPE for the entire accounting profession with some other metric. So I guess time is the best one we've got. But yeah, the result is a lot of crappy CPE courses that people take just to, you know, get their hours. And they're not actually learning anything. But I guess with adaptive, I mean, it is better in that it's going to be the the value is going to be the average of the group. So if you're a really smart CPA, maybe you'll be able to take adaptive courses and get all of your CP for the year done in 10 hours as opposed to 40. And I think that's better, right? Even if we're still using an approximated like time value, at least the smart people or the quick people don't get penalized uh, for for being able to learn faster than everybody else. And then, I mean, somebody could also argue that maybe CP needs to have different formats because so maybe some people, they could do it audio-wise on a podcast, yeah. right? Um, yeah, well, we should be able to offer CPE for the Cloud Accounting Podcast. That would be really cool. I heard that we might be able to do this for Canada, though. There's different oh, yeah? requirements, yes. Ooh. That's a whole side, side topic we'll get into another day. Um, I have two hypothetical articles we could cover, but I think like you have one on the Florida and Bitcoin ransom stuff again. Yeah, I'm going to save this for next time. I got to get going. So if you don't mind, we'll wrap it up here. Yeah, that works. If you want to get in touch with me or David online, you should connect with us on Twitter. Follow us. I am at Blake T. Oliver. How about you, David? And I'm at David Leary. And where else should people follow the Cloud Accounting Podcast, David? Uh, Cloud Accounting Podcast is on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Also subscribe to our newsletter. Go to cloudaccountingpodcast.com, click the blue subscribe banner, and you'll be signed up for email notifications when new episodes come out. That way you can click the link in the email and go to the show notes and have all the articles right at your fingertips. And that's it from me this week. I'll talk to you later, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.